where we speak with experts and influencers in marketing, content, and brand publishing. We bring you the latest trends, tips, and insights so that you can help your brand tell its story and connect with its audience. Welcome to the Brand Storytelling Podcast, where we get to know the best in the business of content marketing and brand publishing right around the world. And today, we're going to look at the role of content within the bigger picture of marketing itself, as well as some of the trends, opportunities, and challenges that you can get on top of right away. And to guide us through, I'm thrilled to welcome an industry stalwart and a good friend of Newsmodos to the show, Darren Woolley. Darren Woolley is, of course, the founder of Trinity P3 and brings unique insights and learning to the marketing process. He's considered a global thought leader of agency remuneration, search and selection and relationship optimization. Darren, welcome to Brand Storytelling. How are you? I'm very well, Raquel. Thank you for having me. Um, and that's an excellent introduction. I feel very important. <laughs> well, our listeners have given us a lot of feedback this year and they've loved hearing more about what makes our guests the industry leaders that they are today. And that means that in the all-new format of the show, we like to wind back the clock a little, Darren, and get to know you a little bit better. So let's talk about growing up here on the Victorian Peninsula, beautiful Sorrento area, which of course now is a, a hot spot over the summer. But back when you were growing up, it was um, a bit more of a quiet cul-de-sac. Well, it was like a country town for probably 40 weeks of the year. You know, you could drive down the main street and my, you know, my parents would be able to pull the car outside the shop that you wanted to go into. And then from the week before Christmas to uh, Australia Day and, and then on uh, over Easter, suddenly it was invaded by everyone from Melbourne, the townies we used to call them. You know, <laughs> they'd come down from town and uh, just completely destroy the sort of peace and serenity. Of course, uh, you start to appreciate that when you're a teenager because as teenagers you know um, the summertime was the time to meet new people absolutely and what a what a life it would have been down there and as you were growing up that would have been a really interesting cultural shift too no doubt from being a country town to all of a sudden the invasion of the townies what what lessons did you learn over summer darren that you can share on the podcast? Well, um, <laughs> I was going to say one of the things was that uh, it was a valuable lesson in new is so attractive because, you know, new people, uh, for 40 weeks of the year, you know, you'd be hanging out with your friends of the uh, opposite sex, but as soon as uh, a new boy would turn up from town or a new girl would turn up from town, that they would be the centre of uh, attention for um, everyone down there. There was always summer romances. <laughs> uh, a little bit like Greece, you know, a bit of summer loving. <laughs> I do remember one of my first girlfriends actually lived down there. I had a holiday house down there and some very, very fond memories. But let's move on to, um, I guess, brands. And that's what we're here to talk about. And your first affinity with a brand was the VW brand. And, and like so many Australian families back then, you all piled into the Beetle. Yeah, my um, my dad, I remember buying a, a Beetle when I was probably quite young, three or four. And uh, we used to go on long drives because while we were living in Sorrento, 
my mother's family were from the Western District and so we'd have these four-hour-long drives from Sorrento right round the peninsula and uh, off to Ballarat and Warnable. And uh, the great thing about the Beetle on one level was they're vacuum-sealed and had very good heaters, so in the winter it was a cosy ride. But uh, the other thing is, at the time, both my parents were chain smokers, so we're actually vacuum-sealed inside a, a smoke chamber. And uh, I remember <laughs> my brother and I being able to play tic-tac-toe on the film that the cigarette smoke left on the window. So oh. that probably wasn't a, a good childhood memory, but it's certainly a powerful one. And you drive a VW today? Yeah, I have a. Uh, I've got a, uh, a V Dub. I've got the um, the Tiguan. So I drive that. And look, I I love the VW brand. And and I um, we've done some work with VW, Audi, and Porsche. And uh, I said to the marketers, you know, the thing about Volkswagen is it fits exactly with my uh, self image of being a down to earth practical person um you know i I just find the audi and the porsche way too show off for me and volkswagen fits suits me perfectly do you think then that brands make these connections with people when they're young um to have a good chance of retaining them as customers for life like what what do you think was the the image or what resonated with you is it the memories of driving in that you have that flashback of being in the back seat there playing tic-tac-toe or um you know with the the family that i guess adds to the romance of the brand I think there's a level of um, sentimentality, Raquel, around the brand, but I think it's staying true and yet at the same time relevant to the way I see myself. I think brands still play a role in the reflection of who we are. And the thing about the Volkswagen Beetle, uh, you know, in those days, and we're talking the 60s, um, they were so different to every other car on the road. And there was this sense of being different, but also not different flashy, just different uh, practical in a way. And even though it's evolved over time and the Beetle today doesn't look like the Beetle of the 60s and the other cars in the range, at the core of the Volkswagen brand, irrespective of the whole issue around their diesel engines and their uh, environmental outputs, but the Volkswagen brand has always been true to that sort of practicality, you know, well-made, not incredibly expensive, uh, reliable, and just has a, a different personality. You've seen so much change over over the time of, um, I guess, your being at the peak of this industry. Um, and we will dive into a lot more serious stuff after uh, in the second half of the show. But I, I just wanted to get into this a little bit further because I think it's really interesting around the the sentiment that um, I guess consumers pick up we had we had Arnie Ken a, a content marketing expert on the show last week and he talked about the fact that he uh, drunk coke where the rest of his entire family drank Pepsi and to this day he drinks a you know a can of diet coke every day and and that was kind of like his thing um, do you see that as a high priority for your clients gaining the loyalty of young customers what would your brand's advice be in terms of trying to do this? Uh, Look, I think uh, because of technology, everyone is focused on being relevant to the customer and and finding ways of being able to personalise and customise who they are. But I think at the very core of every brand is an inherent truth or purpose or or positioning of who they are and that that's still incredibly important you know the idea that you can build a brand 
by using data alone to identify who your potential customers are and then have customised conversations is certainly important in building engagement and moving and influencing people in purchase decisions along the way. But I think at the very core of every strong brand is a positioning in your customer's mind as to what that brand represents. And the best brands are the ones that have long-term powerful positionings in people's minds and very uh, focused positionings. And if you want to talk about brand loyalty, one of the areas that's really interesting is sporting teams and especially football codes. When you think about it, people are so loyal. And and the reason I I bring it up is your reference about Coke and Pepsi and, and being the opposite of the family. But, you know, people pick a sporting team, you know, as a child, but sometimes they'll re-choose in their teenage years to make a personal choice and then they'll stick through it, even though that brand doesn't have success and even though it goes up and down um, over the years. Because, you know, growing up in Melbourne, you have to have an AFL team. And, you know, back in the 60s, my dad's sister was married to the runner Ron Clark and his brother, Jack Clark, was the captain coach of Essendon. And I started supporting the Essendon Football Club then. And if you ask me today, I still support Essendon Football Club. Now, you look at all the recent trials and tribulations they've been through as a business. Absolutely. But as a brand, I am incredibly loyal over, you know, decades to a club. Yeah, you know, in the 80s, it would be easy to support that brand because they were winning, you know, a lot of grand finals um, and, and the 90s. But, you know, then there's large periods where the, the brand fundamentally underperforms and yet people still support them. And I think that's a great example. What is it about that relationship and what it means to the the supporter that uh, makes it so enduring. I think that's a fantastic example. I was talking about that recently and the fact that those players can't be um, playing, they can't be working, they're still being paid. I think they should all create a content stream and all work on an Essendon TV show for the fans or something free of charge. I think that'd be fun. Anyway, I move on. What's been a piece of content that's really impressed you in 2016 or in the last year or so? Look, there's just so much great content out there. Um, and, and yeah, the interesting thing is when someone asks me that question, I really, you know, go, because you, you're going to say to me, well, we'll name some. And the thing is that it's content that I end up spending lots of time with, but it's not like advertising, you know? Advertising disrupts you, you know? You see ads and they jump in the way of, of the content you're actually looking at. But uh, content that I see on social media, um, a lot of the, uh, I really liked some of the uh, content that was used to support uh, events, but then it, it blurs this line of content and advertising. Was it there to disrupt me or was it there to engage me or both? And I think it's really hard to talk about great content because great content actually engages me. It gives me a reason to give up my time. But then if I told you what it was, you might say, yeah, okay, well, but why is it great content? It's great content because I gave up my time. And the thing that I don't have a lot of is time. That's a very, very good point. We are going to dive into some of the trends and challenges and also 
some of the points that you've been talking about more broadly um, in the media and on your blog in the next half of the show. But first, let's get into a bit of a mad minute with you, Darren. I'm very keen to do this because there's a, a lot more to the man behind Darren Woolley than just advertising, marketing and content. So let's uh, start the clock now and jump in. I'm just looking for some one word answers here, Darren, starting now with question one. What motivates you? Oh, ideas. I love ideas and I love playing with ideas, especially business ideas. Is marketing better or worse than it was a decade ago? Oh, much better. What made that so? Um, greater opportunities. Even though it's more complex, there are so many great opportunities for marketers to actually lead uh, business transformation and uh, customer engagement than there was a decade ago when marketing was increasingly being pushed into being the promotions area of companies. You may have just answered the next question, but I'll ask it anyway. What's at the core of marketing in the future then? The customer. Um, marketing will be the uh, hub that coordinates organisations to engaging customers. What advice would you give to anyone just getting into the industry here in Australia in particular? Uh, spend the first few years getting as broad a awareness as possible and experience as possible before you start specialising. Who do you admire for their work in the space? Pass. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> Agnostic. Very good. Um, and where was your most recent holiday and where would you like to go next? Uh, Tasmania was my most recent holiday. Uh, camper van uh, circumnavigating Tasmania. Great holiday. Um, my next trip is off to India to speak at a conference there and we're having a few days uh, in India, uh, in Delhi and down in Agra. But uh, my next trip I'd love to do is uh, Italy. Which might actually be also answering my next question. If you won Tats Lotto, would you retire? No, never. <laughs> Very good. You've seen a lot of change in the industry. As I said earlier in the show, um, you've been at the peak of this industry for decades now. What do you miss that is no longer part of the industry? Courage in decision-making. That's a big call, isn't it? And the final question, what would make your year in 2016? Uh, seeing a lot more uh, CMOs become CEOs of companies or more CMOs becoming chief customer officers in companies, especially in Australia. Thanks so much. That was the Mad Minute with Darren Woolley. Okay, let's get on to the content marketing side of things. And I know you've got some really strong opinions on a couple of matters, which I want to get into right away. We've talked about awards, Darren, and this is something that I know um, you're quite passionate about. Um, what's your view on the number of awards that are now being distributed both here in Australia and overseas within the industry? Look, I think the advertising industry creates awards to the point that they become almost meaningless. Um, I know when I was uh, president of the Melbourne Art Directors Club, you know, you had those awards, you had national awards, you had international awards, you had media-based awards, and it's almost like every time there's a discipline evolves in marketing, suddenly there's a whole lot of awards, and the existing awards embrace it as well. So, you know, you've got uh, all of the major award shows have a content section or category that they judge. The Content Institute has its own awards. You know, it's almost like you can't exist as a recognised discipline unless you have some sort of award process or an award show. And I think it becomes self-defeating because in most cases you see work getting awarded because it stands out for being different or disruptive or innovative 
but it's not necessarily the best example of the particular discipline. You know, there are some terrific, for instance, in the technology space, terrific innovations uh, in technology that would never win an award because it doesn't look creative or disruptive, but it's incredibly effective and and absolutely changes the way things are. So I think we really need to start taking a view of should we have so many awards? And in fact, I don't know if you saw, Raquel, but uh, DDB globally has made a decision to reduce the number of awards that they enter significantly mm. because they're wasting so much money on entering awards. It's it's almost like how many games of cricket can you play in one year, isn't it? Yeah, well, look, you know, in, in Australia, there are three lots of Agency of the Year awards, and they rarely go to the same agency. So, in actual fact, in the advertising space, there are three agencies of the year. Yeah. <laughs> because each of the award processes... Now, if it was actually relevant, they would hopefully end up selecting the same agencies. But, you know, it's it's a revenue generator for a lot of uh, companies that run these awards. Of course. And also I think it's a, um, it's a marketing strategy as a way of finding a way of promoting a particular discipline. My concern around content, and, and I mentioned it before, content to me is the one that engages the customer and, and the transaction is to reward them for the time that they devote consuming that content, be it video or podcast or, or reading or whatever it is. You know, the transaction is their engagement and their time. But, you know, when I look at the content awards, they seem to go to things that are, you know, disruptively creative. Yeah. And a lot of it leaches over from advertising, which is deliberately not content because it's not about engagement, it's about disruption. You're spot on. And... um on the content side of things, I think a recent content marketing institute, the CMI, reported that around, I think it was around 80% of marketers said that they're now using content marketing techniques. Is that something that you've seen in your experience with dealing with the agencies and brands that you work with? Look, I think um, a lot of marketers mistake advertising production or advertising outputs for content and that's understandable you know they think that if you make a 30 second tv ad and you put the 90 second version on youtube that's a content exercise right and so i think that number is true from the perspectives that they feel that they're creating some sort of content Uh, and and in fact correct me if i'm wrong but in that same survey the number that have a content marketing strategy to define the content they're producing mm-hmm. and the channels that they'll distribute it through or, um, is actually relatively small, isn't it? It's about 33%. Yeah, so, so in actual fact, why are you using a content marketing technique if you don't have a strategy for it. And we talked about that with Joe Polizzi. It was number one on his recommendations for 2016 is have a plan. Even if you have to write it on a napkin, he doesn't care. Just have a plan. <laughs> um, it's a, it's an important footnote for any of these conversations. What do you think is the percentage that content is playing in an average marketing kind of um, output at this at this point in time in Australia? Are you seeing more more of it? Do you, do you think that... 
it should be less, should be more. Is it giving ROI or a, a brand's kind of pushing out so much content at, at expense and starting to get content fatigue? Look, I, uh, going back to the, the, the previous point, I think the danger is the ones that are producing content without a strategy are the ones that end up complaining about the poor return on investment for their content spend, right? Mm. Um, and when I see, especially in the B2B space, people that do content really well are getting up on their personal budget of spending more than half of their budget on creating content because they've got a very strong content strategy. So they'll spend half their marketing budget or more on producing content. Now, the difference is that a lot of the sort of more B2C brands will produce content, but it's really more around customer support or or um, uh, uh, customer service sure. than it is around building engagement. And yet that's still part of it. But in those cases, it's relatively small and you're talking less than 10%. So it varies greatly across, across uh, category. It varies greatly by brand. Uh, what I'd like to see, and you know, the only way forward is for people to build a content strategy that sits within their ma- overall marketing strategy and has a particular role, because then they'll be able to see growth and and measure results and be able to get a sense of the return on that marketing investment. You asked me recently to um, contribute a piece to your blog at Trinity P3 on a hybrid content marketing model or a, a model whereby brands use their best capabilities in-house, which are often far more relevant or the expertise is there where it might not be with a third-party agency, but then bring in agencies or um, other organisations who are better equipped to do the rest, to um, produce other kinds of content, to find industry experts, to source content from other locations, to um, procure it and to distribute it and measure it. Is that the way forward in terms of content creation that you see? Uh, look, absolutely, because within organisations, and, and by the way, that post's got terrific engagement. Oh, great. So, you know, it's clearly a topic that is of interest to uh, the 150,000 uh, readers that we have reading our blog. But um, the knowledge of brands and businesses exists within brands and businesses. What doesn't necessarily exist there is the understanding and the process of being able to turn that knowledge into content that is engaging for customers. And so, you know, I see this is where the external, the hybrid model of external and internal works really well because you bring those together. You bring in an external party that has a very strong focus on creating and publishing content in all the different formats and you put them together with the people that have the knowledge of the brand and the business and the two together produce huge amounts. I've seen companies try and build that publishing function or the uh, the, the content creation function in-house and they just end up with lots of people but not necessarily a very strong focus. You know, I think there's something about the tension between an external supplier and an internal team that actually created the right way can be incredibly powerful. Fantastic. Your content director, Mike Morgan, um, recently noted that content this year will continue to shift from old school page optimization 
you know, with its focus on keywords to a much more broader um, intent and relevance. What would you say to the marketing managers, the heads of digital and others out there who want to do this right, who want to get that perfect um, intent and relevance in their content? The, the thing is to, in every piece of content communication, is start with what would the customer or the consumer be interested in? What are the things... You know, I, I read years ago a guy who was a pool and spa builder in North Carolina, I think it was, and his content was basically giving in-depth answers to questions asked by his customers and potential customers. Now, what better way of creating content? Because what you're doing is you're providing answers to the questions people are already asking. I think what happens too often is a lot of content brands and companies produce is not listening to what the customers are interested in, but writing about what they know best and not writing it in the perspective of what would the reader be interested in. And I think that's why, you know, sitting down and working out what keywords and phrases you want to own in a search engine is a very inside-looking-in approach. Sitting down and working out what your customers are interested in and writing it to fulfil their need is a very uh, customer-centric approach. Absolutely. And this is something that's becoming more and more relevant with all of our client relationships at Newsmoto, where we're doing a lot more research than we ever have before. We're doing a lot more strategic work before we just dive into creating content. There's so many tools out there. I mean, Google Trends is one that we've spoken about, and we spoke about it last week. If you want to listen to last week's episode with Arnie Ken, who knows this stuff inside out, but... Even just with Google Trends, Darren, you can find out so many relevant um, topics that are relevant to your particular area of expertise and really start to actually nail the the content um, strategy so that you can create headlines, you can create, I guess, streams of content that are relevant at relevant times too. You know, you talk about pool content well of course people are going to start looking for that as they ramp up for summer so you can you can actually start really identifying the types of um, stories that you want to also be be releasing at different times of the year as well and it's just so critical and, and as you said earlier in the show it goes back to having a plan and a strategy for all of that and mapping it out well in advance as we start to wind down on this episode Darren, I'm keen just to finish off with, I guess, some of your um, inspiration for those out there. I guess from your own perspective, what's driving you this year, what you see as being um, something exciting and, and some something to leave our listeners with if they're, they're also looking for inspiration in um, the marketing world in 2016 here in Australia. Yeah, well, look, you know, the thing that uh, gets me out of bed every morning is the challenges that we're facing. And they're challenges because technology is changing the world faster than at any other time in human history. You know, technology is the underlying driver. The thing that's not changing is the basic human being. You know, human beings in 100,000 years really haven't evolved that much. We haven't, uh, unlike some predictions, we haven't got big thumbs from uh, using mobile phones and we haven't uh, developed square eyes from watching screens. Human beings but are very good at adapting at the technology that's presented to us. What, I'm, um, what the big uh, challenge for me or what I see is the opportunity to help large organisations 
organisations adapt faster and transform faster to the changing world. Because smaller um, startups and small companies have the ability to move very quickly. Very large companies, they talk about it and they'll consider it, but a bit like the big, um, you know, the ocean liner that sees the iceberg coming, but it's too late to change. Yeah. They're talking about uh, technology disruption but they're not doing it or moving fast enough. And the reason is is they're bogged down with so many legacy structures and systems and processes that it just gets in their way. So, you know, there are ways of changing. There are ways of transforming. There are ways of adapting and taking advantage of this changing technology landscape and the and at the same time be incredibly focused on human beings because ultimately at the very end of this whole process it's still about people doing things and so you know to me that's really exciting because people are the most interesting uh, irrational, illogical, but interesting uh, creatures that you could possibly find. And going back to one of your points in the quiz there, let's not lose all that heart and all that courage as we uh, continue on on this exciting journey. So, Darren, I really do appreciate you joining us here on Brand Storytelling. The entire episode will be transcribed and is now live on newsmoto.com. No doubt we'll be hearing more from you throughout the year. And once again, thanks for joining us. Uh, absolute pleasure, Raquel. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To find out how quality content can empower your brand, head to newsmoto.com.